we're going to talk about just a few things. As you know, in the book of Ephesians, that it talks about the redemption that God has put together a plan of salvation for man, and basically it talks about the church, it talks about God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, what he did, and the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit's role was, and also tells us how we should live now. So we're just going to hit a few highlights here on God's syllabus for the apostolic church. And the setting here is Paul will go into other books of the Bible where he just talks doctrinally, like First and Second Thessalonians and Romans and Galatians and Colossians, and here even in Ephesians. But this is the foundation on which our lives are going to be built. And as you go back to the first chapter, it talks about the Father and his role. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. God presents himself as the planner of the scheme of redemption. And I think this is a great passage. If one of my smaller Bibles, I've highlighted every verse in the book of Ephesians. Because those verses, all you could do, they just have so much meaning to us in our lives about what God has done for us, what Jesus has done in his role, the Spirit in his role, and then God providing everything that we need here in his word to help us live a life. And we see that God's role is in planning everything. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we know God's role. Over in John, the first chapter. In John, the first chapter, in the first verse here, it's, it's very telling of God's role. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So do we see God's role in as being the planner. And then the agency of Christ. Over in the second chapter, in the 13th verse, we see Jesus' role. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself. One new man in the place of two, making so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. The Father had planned that the Son would become the agent of the plan, through the shedding of the blood, which broke down the wall of division between the Jew and the Gentile. So we see the role of God in being the planner of Jesus, 
as being the purpose of God in coming to save us for our sins. And then the third one that it mentions in the third chapter of Ephesians is the Holy Spirit's job. In Ephesians, the third chapter, in the third verse, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then he goes on to say, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. The message that was unknown in generations prior is now made known and is now revealed. So we see in the first three chapters the work of the Godhead, the fact of the Father as being the planner, as Christ shedding his blood for our sins, and the Spirit in revealing the Word. And then that makes us recipients of the Word of God. Then in Ephesians, the second chapter, I'm going to go back to verse 8 here. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that God provided in creating things, in providing and sending his Son for our sins, it is now our job to be what God planned in his foreknowledge that we would be his workmanship. What is that workmanship? You know, many times we are bombarded in this world with people coming to us. And in that workmanship, what our main focus is is to live godly lives. But also in living godly lives is to teach others. And I've heard many preachers before. I know uh, when we were at Brentwood for 10 years before we came here and moved to Franklin, the Don Bassett talked about a lady that came to his office one day, and she was part of the Jehovah's Witness, and she had a, you know, her little magazine, The Watchtower, and so forth, and he said she came into his office and wanted to talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Well, you know, that's a subject that does need to be discussed. But when we're talking to our neighbors that we know that aren't Christians by God's Word, I think a lot of times instead of starting on an issue, we need to go back and focus in do we have a relationship with God through Christ? That's the foundation is going back to the Word of God in revealing in what God has provided, all scriptures inspired of God. And if they believe that, we have that in common, that they believe that all scripture is inspired by God, then that is the basis for a discussion with somebody that will lead into those topics, that will lead into instrumental music or uh, lead into all kinds of issues that we deal with, but the, fo the focus point is having that relationship with Jesus Christ. In Romans, the sixth chapter, I don't think there's anything more clearly taught than talking about how to begin our relationship with God. When Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus, in John the third chapter and the fifth verse, fifth verse, he talked about the uh, being born again. And we are, we're all familiar with that passage in John 3, 5, where it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The last time that I spent with my dad before he died, uh, other than him coming with my mom to our open house at our office, was we went down to Fayetteville together. And I remember we were riding through his little community where he grew up. We were talking about sobering things, and one of the things that I had brought up several times to him in the past, and he would be very defensive about, but he grew up in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. His father was a very godly man. I mean, he never said a curse word. My dad or my uncle said they ever heard him say. Um, but he just could not. And, and I was only four when he died, and he was an older man, but I wish I could have spent time with him because I know he had a good heart. But he never could come to grips with the fact that you had to be baptized for the remission of your sins. But um, all my dad's brothers, with the exception of one, is very, were very good men uh, by the world standards as far as men gentlemen. But I remember telling him, I just don't understand how, you know, you know, my grandfather and my uncles couldn't see the necessity to be baptized for the remission of sins. And he told me, he said, you know what? He said, that is the clearest passage in the Bible, baptism. When he told me that, that told me that he truly believed that you had to be baptized for the mission of your sins, which he had done after he married my mom. And many people would say, well, he probably just got baptized because he was married to her. But he didn't. He believed. He truly believed. And he told me that was the most simplest part. My dad could read a book like this in about two days. I mean, he could. Re he loved to read. But he was... he. Uh, he could scan books. He would tell, talk to Wanda about certain books and stuff, and he would read. He'd scan over and read. He was a fast reader. But that strengthened me so much. When he died suddenly, unexpectedly, a couple of weeks later, I always went back to that discussion I had with him because that increased my faith in God. You know, when you have so much respect for a person, uh, things they believe, you got to fight with it, even though you know it might not be uh, true, but you fight within yourself. You're wanting to believe the truth, but yet you want to believe that person you love. But when that person I loved actually believed what I've always believed, and, not, and then I knew he did, that he stood for what the Bible said, that strengthened me. And that's what God does in our workmanship. He gives us the tools that we have. You know, you might be reformed, a reformed uh, a gambler. You might have had an addiction problem to gambling or the uh, pornography issue or um, drinking or cheating. Uh, but unless you receive 
what God has provided for us in that plan of salvation, of obeying the gospel, those things are good in man's sense, but in God's eye, to be a workmanship, you have to be a Christian. Somebody says, well, chapter 1, 2, and 3 are heavy, but I like 4 and 5, and I want to conform, but I don't want to do what the gift says I have to do. But he says there must be a reception of the gift of salvation, and then you're ready for the reformation of your life. And that was what we read in the uh, 10th verse of the second chapter. And then he says in in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, therefore... Therefore, you know, there's a lot of passages that talk about therefore. And one of my favorite passages talks about therefore is over in the book of Romans. If you turn over to Romans, the 12th chapter, and I know all of you are going to know this particular verse here, but Paul has spent so many chapters in the Bible here. The first eight chapters talking about the justification of faith, and then therefore, he says, I want to talk to you about the practical conduct that should be characteristic of our life in the forbearance, in the love. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is so strong to me. The fact that now that I am in a relationship with God, he says, don't conform to this world. You live in it. You're going to have to be around these people. There's no way. How are you going to convert somebody if you want to avoid? I've never understood why Christians uh, want to be put in situations where they're totally isolated from people where they don't want to be around anybody. I don't want my children around any of that group. You know, they got some bad, well, sure. But there's some good ones, too. You know, I grew up in public schools. And you know what? There were good kids and there were bad kids. And my my daughters got in middle school. We put them in private school. And you know what? There were good kids and there were bad kids. And you know what? You're going to go to wherever... You might have two bad kids in a class, and if that child decides they want to be a bad person, they're going to be a magnet to those two bad kids, aren't they? We have to be examples to those out in the world. That doesn't mean we do everything with them and corrals with them and out at, at night and so forth, but we have to be in our work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we have to be examples and have that opportunity to have people see Jesus Christ in us. So as we see there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. If I could say one thing to a congregation about how we should conduct ourselves together, it would be what he says here. Because if you don't, it's a sin. He says you need to maintain the body and the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that means whatever 
little ideas I have that I grew up with that aren't scriptural, but they're judgmental, and I'm going to pound them in on this congregation because that's the way my daddy raised me here. That's the way uh, this congregation I grew up doing. We put the cover over the Lord's table, or we did things this way, or we did things that way. It's not right. You might suggest. But unless it's clearly taught, if it's an opinion, you need to think about bearing with one another, maintaining that spirit. And that's where the building takes place. You know, and we're all, we all have different strengths. Some of us have strength in encouraging. Others of us have strength in maybe leading singing or teaching a class or assisting in a class or being a greeter out there and talking to people or being someone that makes things for people, makes food uh, and takes over to someone's house. I know you do a lot of that, Linda, and I know we have several here. But some people just have a knack and a quality about them where they have strong points in, you know. People, we all have, I mean, people, some people have great one-on-one skills. Some people are just gentle. I mean, I could go through and tell each and every one in here, I've been going here 18 years, uh, all your strengths, because each one of you have strengths that I see. But why is it that a lot of times we spend our time thinking about the weaknesses? that we think, and I'm talking about myself, that we talk, think, you know, that person, and I'm thinking about how weak they are. They're always complaining. They're always doing this or doing that, or they hadn't done this. That's one thing I cannot stand to hear personally is somebody saying, why don't they come visit me or why don't they come do this? Let's talk about the strengths, because everybody in here has strengths. Every one of you, I'm looking at you. I know, because I've been around you, because you have unique characteristics about you. Some of them are similar, some of them are not. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, not only live in the church, but you're going to be living in the world. And you're going to be among other people. And your conduct does matter. In the fifth chapter here, in the 11th verse, what does he say? He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's strong. All that right there is strong as I go about in my daily life where he talks about, I'm not going to participate with these people in their deeds, but I'm going to be around them enough to be of influence, a good influence. How are you going to convert somebody? Who was Jesus around when he was converting was he just around all the righteous people? No, he was around some of the worst people trying to change their hearts. That's the only way that we're going to grow and that the Lord's work is going to grow. In verse 
chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, I think this tells me what the world is about. He talks about the Gentiles and the futility of their minds. He says they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves a sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We see that in our world. People with hard hearts that murder just to murder. People that get murdered for just no reason because they look at them wrong. You've seen people in road rage. You've seen people get out. You get irritated when somebody pulls in front of you. Well, I do too. But I'm not, you know, I don't even know that person. Now, I had two guys I worked with, two great guys, but man, they have no patience in a car with other drivers. And they were in Green Hills, and this was a few years ago. One of them cut in front of the other one. They didn't realize who it was, and they, you know, said some thing or showed some actions that weren't good to each other, and then they realized. They were friends, and they realized, why are we doing this? But we do some of the things that are unwise in our lives. And those are things that God says, don't be foolish. Be careful and watch how you live and how you act. Be careful how you spend your time. He says in verse 15 and 16, making the best use of your time. What is the best use of your time? Is it sitting up in a shell in your house watching ESPN or the History Channel or the Western Channel? That's what I like to do. I like to watch the military and the history, the military and the Western and, and ESPN and all those. But you know, there are times when I need to be out with other Christians, encouraging them and building them up and then building me up. There's times when I need to be with people that I know aren't Christians that I have maybe a talent. This is my talent right here. I have the Word of God that I can spend time with. Brent has spent some time with these kids over here at the uh, place over here where Tim Cotton is. I think that's a great way to spend time. Others of you spend time, women here spend so much time encouraging other women. That's one thing that is so strong about this congregation here is the love here. We've had our ups and downs here, but when it comes down to it, I've never been in a congregation that has the amount of compassion and love that is shown when people need it. And we've all been there and seen it, haven't we? That's one thing you can't say about this congregation, that we don't have it. In chapter 5, verse 31 through 33, Chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And it talks about the family here. The time period back in these times, the Greek cities like Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi had a liberal outlook on women in society. But in the Bible here, it talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife and a mother and a father. 
And then it talks about the family relationship. You go over to the sixth chapter. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How have you raised your children? Have you raised them with the respect that your children need? And children, you might have parents that you feel like are just unfair and you need to do this and you're saying, why? Because I said so. Well, that's an answer. I got that answer too when I was growing up. <laughs> I mean, my mother, she could be brutal. She was whipping me in high school with a belt. I don't know many women that would do that now. <laughs> but she was a great mother. She did the discipline. She was a spiritual bond. I was raised up in a generation where the father worked hard all day, and he provided a living. The mother basically raised the children, and then when we got into college, then my dad kind of took over with all the mature advice. I mean, he was there and all, but still... If I wanted something, I got it from my mother. And you know how children are always afraid when their father gets home. And I've heard some of you say this, wait till your father gets home. Well, I wanted my father to come home because I tell my mother, wait till daddy gets home. I'm going to tell him what you've done. <laughs> and I would. I'd tell him and he just wouldn't say anything. He'd just, well, that's, you know, you need to do what she said. I mean, I wasn't worried about him spanking me. I was just wanting, him, wanting his help. But my brothers can both tell you that our guidance came from our mother in that relationship. Well, in the fourth verse here, I think this is real strong, that fathers do not provoke your children to anger. You know, there's a way to discipline, and there's a way not to discipline. But children are still supposed to obey their parents. I told a couple of guys at Brugger's Thursday we were together and we were talking about things we learned, you know, that aunts or grandparents has these little words. But I always remember mother when I would go out at night or something and she knew I was going out with some guys that maybe she didn't like. She would just say, just remember, if you get killed in a car accident, that's the last thing you did before you see God. And I would think about that. And I would tell my daughters that, too. And that's, you know, that's a sobering thought, but it's true. How would you like to go out and drinking and driving and have a wreck and get killed and meet the Lord? It would be a bad situation, wouldn't it? And that was one that was told to me over and over again. And believe it or not, you think, oh, you didn't listen or this or that. I did listen. And you know what? I've even remembered it to this day. Those were some of the best advice I've got because I didn't, my grandparents basically were all old and died. I was one of the last grandkids. Um, so I didn't have their wisdom, although I learned it from talking to both my parents about all four of my grandparents. It's great. But then we get to the really heart of the matter in. And that's the lesson will be yours here. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
Richard has already read this stuff to us. I'm not going to read it again. But basically, there's a contest underway right now. It's already been decided at Calvary regarding the ultimate victory. Jesus has overcome Satan, but there's a mop-up operation underway right now between the devil and his angels to gather all of us he can as a consolation prize to take with him. And that's why God has given us these passages here in this titanic struggle, and we have a pivotal part to play. And you might think, well, when I go to work 8 to 5 and provide a living for my family, or if I'm a mother and I'm changing that diaper or cleaning the house, or I'm sitting in a class on Wednesday night here, those things do matter. And this is a struggle just as sure as Satan is looking at us right now, so is God. And God is over all and in all. And we know that. And by knowing that, God has asked us to be his workmanship. All I ask of you and myself is that we give it our best effort and that we look to God for help through prayer, through study, encouragement of the scriptures, through our association with fellow Christians, through the things that we do in this life. Because we're going to let each other down. I'm going to do something to let you down. You're going to do something to let me down. But in the whole big picture of this thing is we all want to be with God one day in each other. And that's what it comes down to. We're family.